Hi, I'm Eddie. I run a comic shop and publish my own comic strip. And I'm Roger, and I run a comic shop and my very own Comic-Con. And I'm Joe, a lifelong fan who does all the real work to make our show go. Every week, we'll discuss the newest insider info that you won't get from your favorite comics and talk to some of our favorite creators and publishers. So come take a peek behind the counter with Tales from the Comic Shop, part of the Geek Nerd Network. Weekly on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and more. I think you can kiss your trade franchise goodbye. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye, a very special episode. We have been excited the entire length of this podcast to get to. We're talking about Casino Royale, one of our favorite James Bond movies and the beginning of the Daniel Craig era. And because I, your host, Andy Wilson, cannot do this alone... Uh, I've got uh, some of the the normal folks here with me and some very special guests. Uh, returning as per usual is Mark DeLeon. Welcome. Hola. And uh, returning uh, for, I think, the second or third podcast in a row, JB. I don't know. You've been here for a couple in a row now. Welcome. Welcome. We can't Hola. get rid of him. Hola, but in Italian. <laughs> Ciao. and and of course our returning champion uh the person who has been guest on the most episodes melissa martinez oh we, we, we need some theme music can we just go yeah melissa what do you want your what do you want your wwe walkout music to be we'll we'll play that I have to. I have to think on that. I don't know. Okay. Okay. We'll 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 prepare. We'll we'll get something like that. I can't right. get you a belt, but I can put theme music behind you. This okay. time you brought up the belt, not me. Yeah, I know. I did. Um, okay. And for the very first time on this podcast, my sister Kate. Welcome, Kate. Hello. Hello. And Kate, you have brought a friend with you. Why don't you introduce your friend? So Galen is possibly the biggest Maz Mikkelsen fan I have ever had the privilege of sending gifts to. Um, They have a very deep, deep presence in the Reddit of finding lots of interesting, fun things. Um, And uh, yeah, so Galen's just super duper cool. Hello. So... (laughs) Wait, Galen, is there a Mads Mickelson subreddit? Is that what I'm understanding? Um, I would imagine that there is. I I honestly don't go on Reddit much, but um oh, okay. there's uh it wouldn't surprise me. It's probably more like in the Hannibal realm, to be honest. But uh yeah, I'm sure it exists. Got it. And Melissa, you are also a huge Mads Mickelson fan. Yes. In fact, um, I just finished watching his latest movie that came out on demand this weekend, like maybe four hours ago. And it oh, was another round. Yes. Have you seen it? Um, no, but I plan on watching it before the end of the week. Oh, it's it's great. The, the last couple of minutes, he does this drunk dance that's just 
maybe the best thing I've ever seen him do. Like, it's really good. So for everybody watching at home, y'all have to watch this. It's it's sort of like um, like when you're drunk and you're dancing, you think you look like Barishnikov, but you really look like Elaine from Seinfeld doing that dance with her thumb. <laughs> The like, kick, the little kick. Yeah. <laughs> nice. It's really great. So another round available on demand. Awesome. Um, and because we're talking about Mads Mikkelsen, one of the great James Bond villains here playing Le Chief in Casino Royale. Um, Casino Royale was a sort of hard reboot for the the Bond series. They'd made 20 movies with three different actors. They bring in Daniel Craig and they start Bond all over again. This is his first mission as a double O. We see him being made a double O in the in the opening scene, pre-credits, and then and then the movie rolls. Um what a it you know, in terms of, you know, reboots uh, for a series, uh, I, I think it's brilliant. Um, but it does bring up sort, you know, sort of a, a big question about the series is, is James Bond all the same guy? Is is this all the, the same dude? Or are we to understand that, you know, there have been four different five different people who have who have been James Bond over the years. I don't know what what do y'all think about that? I I I think this was a complete do over but the previous four were the same dude and um we're just starting the story all over again. And the opening 5 minutes are just like the best five opening five of any Bond movie ever. It was just so brilliantly done. But I, I do see it as a complete start uh, of a a new person. I don't think I, I don't see I don't see it as a continuation of the previous four. Okay, so the other four are their own thing, and then new Bond is a new thing. Right, right. Like hard reboot, new. Okay, it's like what uh, I I equate it to what DC and Marvel do every two to three years, where they just reboot the entire universe, like. It, you know, and they tell the, the Batman story yet again, the, the Clark Kent story yet again. Uh, I, I think this is what happened with James Bond. So, and it so was what, you're, what you're saying is Benedict Cumberbatch came out and spun a new James Bond. Well, that, <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was the main question we, we were talking about is, is and, and Andy brought this up, is, is James Bond a name, like a title that you just slap on a new rookie, or is it you know, prequels and postquels and younger and older and that kind of thing. I, I see it as a natural narrative of one person. I, I've always seen it that way. I, and I've heard the arguments against that. And, you know, I'm, I'm open-minded. I'll hear them. But personally, like, I think it's the one narrative, except it the well ran, ran dry. I mean, the Pierce Brosnan movies overall were pretty bad and nothing was working anymore. That last movie was just so atrocious and they even lost me as a fan. Like, I just didn't care anymore. Uh, so when I heard that uh, that Daniel Craig was going to be the new Bond, like, I didn't even care. I was, I was so flippant about it because I was like, this dude's not even, this dude's blonde. He can't be a Bond. Like, forget this. 
And I, I went into the movie, like, kicking and screaming. I kind of didn't even want to go. But, boy, did this movie win me over really quick. Uh, but, I mean, I, I do see it as a singular narrative uh, story told now from Casino Royale to where we're at now. Uh, the previous four guys were all part of the same story. And the, the movies complemented each other. We, we saw that. Uh, the, the Roger Moore Bond made references to the the Sean Connery Bond and on and on. I think the only one who really didn't do that was the Pierce Brosnan Bond, but you know, that was just a complete mess after GoldenEye. Yeah. Kate, Galen, where, where do you both come down on this? <laughs> I feel like as you get further into the, the Daniel Craig, it seems more like Bond has become a title. So maybe the, the first Bond was actually named James Bond, but this is just some bloke, maybe like Harvey Skyfall or, you know, Peter down the pub. Just, you know, he got picked up from some maladjusted boarding school or something that, you know, they find British heroes in and and dubbed him James Bond again. Yeah, I kind of um, like... Like, I agree, like, with, with the beginning argument as far as, you know, the first movies were all one person um, because they were very similar. And the time that those were created, it was, you know, it, it kind of followed the same type of narrative and the same style. But with this reboot with Daniel Craig, it's so vastly different. I mean, when I watched it, I was blown away, too. I was like that first opening scene. And even, you know, <clears throat> when they're running in the streets and he's chasing that guy, um, to get it, you know, the, the knapsack that he's got and everything. It's like, holy crap, this is this is so just like way different than what I'm used to seeing, um, which wasn't a bad thing at all. It was actually pretty awesome. It was just much more, um, it's much more real, I guess, um, you know. Uh, and so I think with that, with this, with this new reboot and new direction that they're going in, I can see it now being more of a title position versus it's the same dude each time. Um, so I think, you know, the cool thing about that is, you know, Daniel Craig can't do it forever. So, you know, they'll end up having to choose a new bond and whoever that's going to be, you know, hopefully it's somebody that's good. Um, <clears throat> but um, yeah, so I'm, my, my view on the whole franchise has kind of shifted with this, with the way this one's gone. So I've kind of gone from the original you know, it's one dude to now it can be, it can be anybody kind of thing. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. Can I, can I comment on something Galen said, please? Yeah, sure. All right. So I think that the opening parkour sequence didn't make a lot of sense until I looked at it as world building or character building, because it seemed like the dude he's chasing is, is very finessed and really like parkour and just boom. Like, can the dude fly? Possibly. Um, but he's very much a blunt instrument. And I feel like they're trying to set him apart from the previous Bonds. And that this is a guy who's very about brute strength. And then, like, ten minutes later, he's breaking into all of M's electronics. And they're like, no, he's actually very smart and suave. So that was a little confusing. But I do feel like they were trying to make him very obviously different as a Bond than the previous, like, I think especially Brosnan, um, yeah. the previous Bonds. I can't tell you how much I love that parkour scene. I mean, what I mean, what a change of pace from, like, the, the huffing and puffing of Roger Moore 
uh, and the blase uh, action sequences of Pierce Brosnan. I think if anything, uh, this was very close to what they might have had in mind for Timothy Dalton. Yeah. I mean, that's what I, you know, I, I think I like Dalton and I haven't, been, you know, I haven't been shy about saying that, but I agree that like Daniel Craig actually brought it to fruition. Whereas, you know, they, they, they sort of missed the mark in, in both of the Dalton movies. Um, which is unfortunate because I, I love Timothy Dalton uh, and I, I like that take on the character, but they made Bond really dark too. Yeah. Um, you know, even starting from that opening sequence and uh, the, the section chief in Prague is like, you're not a double O because you have to have two confirmed kills first. And he's like, oh, and he starts to put it together in his head and he's like, oh, how did my, how did he die? My contact. And he's like, not well and then they're yeah. showing that fight scene in the bathroom and you're like james bond is not only a blunt instrument he is um he is not like the perfect assassin yet um you know that that is a rough rough fight right there um but then he pulls off the the second one uh the second kill of the station chief like no problem and you're like okay that's the that's the bond that that we all sort of know and love and uh you know that is ready with a quip and and what what whatnot so um so i like that he's so stripped down I yeah think that's great and andy let me let me ask because i think that was one of my questions and, and this might be the good point to ask it the the bond arc in terms of how they made the movie does it follow how we make movies now in the sense of movies are much more like your Mission Impossible, you know, characters which have more depth, movies that, that do a little bit more. Whereas, you know, Brosnan was the 80s cheese, Connery was the more simple 50s, right? You know what I mean? Is is it a reflection of how movies were made or is it a character reflection that we needed the character to be more nuanced and advanced? Like, what caused this change? Um that that daniel craig was was the good match for i mean i th that's a great question for everyone um i think it's both i don't know if everybody else what everyone else i, thinks. I think it's the realization that i mean that they they lost the audience uh i mean i know that in the last podcast you you showed how much the uh, money the movie made but i mean it just everybody universally hates that movie. I mean, everybody I know hates it. I, I've never met a single person that thought that movie was the greatest thing on earth. So I'm pretty sure they realized they were losing the audience. Um, and, and movies were already making a, a shift to towards more realistic characters. So they had to ground James Bond in some sort of realism. Uh, I mean, gone are the days where you know uh, you can knock out a guy with a George Legs and B punch. Yeah, it's just it's not going to happen. You got to make it a little bit more realistic. But but I mean, even even in that case, you've you've got Martin Campbell, who not the most realistic director, still able to bring some depth to this character. And I think you're right in some ways. I don't I don't know how much they actually lost the, your standard Bond audience because again, I think you mark your point is really interesting. Did the audience change as well? Right? Is so, so what's the variable that causes the audience? I mean, because we even get a better villain. 
right? Well, and I, Kate, I, to your point, we even get a better villain in this case. Yeah. And, and I, so, I think the main reason why, JB, is uh, the Born Identity. And that this uh, is, interesting. Those okay. are a set of movies that we really should tackle uh, soon after we're done with with Bond. But Jason Jason Bourne was the actual spy that you know he was smart. Uh, he was put in impossible situations. He had to finesse his way out of them. He had to piece uh, things together, and it all had to be real. You know, in the realm of realistic. I mean, in in the in a much more real realm than what we've seen with James Bond. And the response to the Born Identity was huge. I mean, Matt Damon couldn't do anything wrong after that. So I'm pretty sure the studio saw this and they're like, all right, you know, our boy's getting beat. Like, what, what are we going to do to get back into the fold? And they responded well with Daniel Craig and, and Casino Royale. Yeah, and I'd even give you Mission Impossible because I thought what Tom Cruise did in the first Mission Impossible was, well, I mean, I'm a Mission Impossible sucker except for John Woo and his slow-mo oh, dubs <laughs> yeah i mean we've talked about that plenty yeah. but i i agree i think the but again I, I andy i know you you started bringing up just the whole paradigm of what people went to movies for was it's so interesting because i mean that those a lot of those movies didn't make a ton of money i mean born identity didn't make a ton of money compared to you know avatar or transformers or movies that still offend your senses when you go see them um <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because, you know, it's almost like they were so disappointed in what they did. Um, they had to reset. I, I don't know. I was thinking about it last after we watched it and I went, what 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 drove them to such a stark contrast other than, like you said, some kickback on how much product placement they did and how dumb it got. And, um, but I like that, Mark, that, that the whole environment changed around the expectation of what a character should be. Well, and I think that part of the brilliance of what they did here was they said, okay, let's go back to the basics. Who is this guy, James Bond? Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, one of the things that we've never actually done is a real version of Casino Royale. Right. Um, there had been a made for TV movie of Casino Royale. And then there had been the, uh, the spoof of Casino Royale, and uh, and because of that, um, the rights to make further Casino Royale movies had been not in the hands of the Broccoli's uh, and and the producers of the Bond franchise, and so they they had to do a, a bunch of legal wrangling to get those back. But once they did, they said, "Okay, let's take this back to basics. Let's this is his first mission." let's build a character here because we haven't had, we've never had a bond movie with a real character arc in it since on her majesty's secret service. Right, right. And, and people don't really remember that movie or, or think about it that much because it's lazy. Um, so, you know, that's, but that's what modern audiences expect is, you know, you can put out a shitty action movie, but, um, you know, what people actually want is some sort of character development or, um, you know, something something bigger than that. And they said, we can deliver that. And and I think that's what that's what this film delivers. And that's what this reboot delivers. Um, we haven't heard from Melissa in a while. And I know she's got something brilliant to say. 
Uh, okay, no pressure now. No um, pressure. <laughs> wow, I know. <laughs> well, I was going to say that um, I, I agree that I think audiences started changing. Um, mm-hmm. the, the prestige era of television had begun in earnest when this came out. We were starting to see some really great television. Mm-hmm. And I know right. I, like a lot of people, were flocking more towards TV and the more long form character development that they could do there rather than movies, which in comparison started to seem kind of shallow. So I think that was, that had to have been part of the equation because you've already got, like Marco said, a franchise that lost some people that needed to be rebooted. And and the thing is they had tried. I think if we look at like the Dalton era, as short as it was, I think they tried to show like a more soft hearted, bond you know who like wouldn't kill the violin player because you know he he saw that she really wasn't a killer and and so he wouldn't assassinate her like he was ordered to and you know they sort of showed him falling in love but then they're you know those movies weren't the best right so <laughs> i feel like with yeah. Brosnan, they they sort of went back a little bit to the old formula um and it didn't really work and, and so now they just had to, I mean, they had to tear it down because honestly, if they had not made a movie this good, um, I think a lot of people, especially our age, they would have lost them permanently, maybe. They, oh, yeah. they had to yeah. do something. You know, I'm not saying they were desperate because this this is not a desperate movie. This is a great movie. But they they had to do something because not only, because what did you say? You said it so well, Um, James Bond's greatest enemy of time or something right yeah right yep you know they they know that they have to know that and if they don't then the franchise is doomed i can tell you that now but it's it's not just that it's that times were changing and tv was where it was starting to be instead of movies and uh i i think this this was like a response to that you know and and it's funny because y'all talked about the parkour at the beginning I sort of thought that was pandering. I was a little embarrassed because I was like, oh, God, they're trying to be so fresh and new and of the times. <laughs> this is what's bit, happening. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, yeah. felt like, it felt like the bald dude with the badly fitted toupee who thinks he's fooling everyone and he's not, you know. But then of course, <laughs> the rest of the movie and you're like, oh, shit, this is good. You know, it, it was it, so cool, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but at first I wasn't so sure, you know, Um but but I it had to have been the timing, you know, the TV era, the golden age was beginning and they they needed to do something. And they they really just hit it out of the park with this one. Yeah, um, it, it was, you know, and I think I think that's still a valid criticism of this movie. I think the parkour still works, but I agree that, you know, in 20 years from now, people might be like, oh, parkour. Wow, this is so 2006. <laughs> like, they really hit that that piece of the cultural zeitgeist right there, and then that was it. Um, so, yeah, uh, it, it was trying a little hard there, but the rest of the movie's so good, and take out the parkour stuff, and that's just a pretty cool chase scene, action scene. Um, the parkour it, was homage, it, right, to On Her Majesty's Secret Service. Wasn't it supposed to be like a throwback to that? Because there was the crazy rooftop scene that got cut where they were chasing each other down. And 
Um, remember reading something that it was supposed to be an homage, but I, I think to both of your points, it didn't really come off that way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this movie's already that. so overstuffed to begin with. I, I'm always like, oh, right, the parkour bit. <laughs> That's right. We got to get through that. Because um, the opening is so fantastic. And then you sort of take a breather. And then, and then you get parkour. And then you get uh, vacation in the Bahamas and adultery in the Bahamas. Oh, but that that was the, a direct connection to Doctor No, though. To, to absolutely the, to the start of it all, and and I think that reinforces the fact that we're starting this all over again, guys. This is just a yep. reminder. This is a new start. I yep. think also the parkour was trying to get everybody who is really into the Born Identity to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is gonna be like that movie. I liked that movie. I totally um, agree. So it was definitely a zeitgeist thing. But having had the pleasure and discomfort of watching almost all of the 2000s James Bond movies with my mother in the theater, um, I would say to the, like, is this going to recapture old Bond fans? Like, they never lost her, but she definitely, I think, had a much stronger connection to the earlier Bonds. And yeah. that's why we're like, okay, let's go give this movie a chance, even though it looks like it's going to be terrible. Um, and I was jazzed because, again, like they, they knew where to hit my zeitgeist button. Um, and they, but also I think for her, it felt enough, like it had enough throwbacks to old Bond that, that she really enjoyed it too. Yeah. I, I think it, it fulfilled both of those things. What, what Melissa said, you know, mm-hmm. trying something new to get the the younger audience for whom James Bond is not as relevant, and it's still grounded enough in the old of what James Bond used to be to bring in the the old folks as well. That is, um, I mean that that's the Mandalorian. That's uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> it's it's. You know, what what do we do that is simultaneously pleasing to all pieces of the fan base and expands it? Oh, mm. can I respond real fast to that? Sure. I had a thought earlier and I forgot to say it. Um, the thought I had is that, like, originally when you're like, what what caused this? And I said, Iron Man. But then I did a Google and Iron Man came out two years later. Two years later. Yep. Um, and But, like, looking at the movies that were coming out in 2006, you have, like, The Prestige, The Illusionist. And I do feel like somewhere in that 2005, 2006, they realized like, hey, we can actually make these movies good. So why are we making them, sh- sorry, poopily? Why are we making them badly when we could make them really good and then have huge franchises? Like, um, I think that for a long time, sci-fi and adventure movies were just like, any. they're going to go see them. We don't have to do anything with the script. Let's just add some more guns. And, and then explosion over there. Um, and it, it kind of, you know, not, not everybody, not Michael Bay, but like, you know, <laughs> a lot of people I think started building these, these really more complicated worlds so we could have sci-fi like the Mandalorian or like, you know, um, I'm trying to think, but like, like the MCU where it's a more complicated universe for superheroes to live in. People are more real. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I mean, I, I think the, you know, that context of what was happening in 2006 is is worthwhile that that summer. So this was a November release. 
uh, November 17th, and it was released the same day as uh, another hit film, uh, the number seven film of the year, Happy Feet, directed by George <laughs> Martin, who then would go and make another Mad Max movie <laughs> because Happy Feet was so... Uh, because they relate. <laughs> yeah, but Happy Feet and Casino Royale released the same day. Happy Feet was the number seven movie of the year, Casino Royale the number nine movie of the year. But that same year, here's here's the number one. Uh, the number one movie was Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, mm. sequel. Cars, a franchise Jesus. movie. X-Men, The Last Stand, a terrible franchise movie. The Da Vinci Code, <laughs> the beginning of another franchise. Superman Returns, a franchise movie. Ice Age, The Meltdown, an animated sequel. Happy Feet, Over the Hedge, Casino Royale, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby. That's the top 10 of 2006. And you have a ton of other franchises within uh, Mission Impossible 3 is at number 12. Um, the Departed, uh, you know, sort of Scorsese as a franchise himself, Night at the Museum, Scary Movie 4, uh, The Santa Claus 3, The Chronicles of Narnia. Um, so, you know, but this is, this is still sort of peak franchise, uh, you know, everybody's, everybody's doing it and, uh, they're gonna get james bond in there um and they need to they need to find a way to to keep him relevant and i think they mostly succeeded in that um and you know compare this to uh you know the the third mission impossible movie they are very stripped down um simple spy movies uh with not a lot of cgi and special effects and uh you know in in the case of uh in the case of casino royale like no perceptible uh cgi so uh that's that's pretty you know i think that's also telling yeah and that it's that's a, what they were going for i mean it's a trend too because you look i mean the two years before it you've got like you said mission impossible you've got mr and mrs smith you've got mm -hmm. collateral you got you know the born movies so you're looking at a whole genre shift to these movies that are making a lot of money where the the depth is more there so you're right i don't think it's just 2006 i think mark to your point they're looking at the last 2 3 years of movies and they're seeing constant trends of yeah. all of these movies have smart main characters really deep villains who are interesting um, and if we don't do that we're going to get left behind um, except for Alien versus Predator, but I digress. So, <laughs> so, so the the year before Casino Royale, we saw a reboot of a of a beloved franchise from a character that's been around since the twenties, and treated in such a way where we got to know more about the character, and they grounded him in realism. And I think that's what I mean. They were kind of happening around the same time, but I'm pretty sure this was a huge influence, and that was Batman Begins. Um, I mean. By this point, I didn't think Batman was ever going to show up again in any kind of a movie because of the plastic nipples. I mean, Batman was just horrible, you know, after what Joel Schumacher did to to that franchise. Uh, but here comes Christopher Nolan. He injects a ton of humanity and a ton of 
origin reasoning behind who Batman really is, what drives him, you know, how he became what he became. And it was just so damn compelling. Like I still love that movie in that entire franchise and uh, Casino Royale is treated in much the same way. You know, we have somebody who, you know, is legendary. The character is super legendary, but, <coughs> but he fumbles a lot throughout uh, Casino Royale. He doesn't make the right decisions. And you get to see flashes of the personality that be becomes James Bond. Uh, and, it, and it matches a lot of what Batman Begins shows and does. So, it, you know, that was that paradigm shift in, in filmmaking, at least for these characters. I mean, there's still, there's always going to be movies that are eye candy, that you know, explosions and makes no sense whatsoever. You know, that's why you have Fast and the Furious, you know, version 3000. I don't know what they're at right now. I mean, there's always going to be people who like that. But audiences have gotten a lot smarter in terms of what they want and and you know they want to be entertained but they also want to believe that these characters are real or tangible and and that's what they did with casino royale i think that's my opinion i don't know it could be and at least opinion. batman begins right. had zero mention of midichlorians so a double win <laughs> in that way. no but mark to to your point of making it more psychological i mean i think my favorite line reading in this entire movie is a single word from um from daniel craig when they're on the beach and um uh what what's his name has has murdered his wife and they're you know collecting the body and m is talking to him and he yeah, says, you know, papa george I, I, you know i'd ask you to be uh you know to ask if you were detached from this or not but that's not your problem is it and he just goes no and i'm like whoa talk about doing so much with so little yeah. it's like you really get how you know how much of a cold bastard this guy is um and you know and then you compare that to the the train scene uh and the psychological examination with uh him and vesper lynn and uh which that is probably my favorite scene in any Bond movie ever uh, in terms of its its characterization. Because as I have said many times on this podcast, what do I love? I the love Cold trains, War. <laughs> Entry. Well, I love, I love trains and I love the Cold War. But, you know. I like Mark and I both went to like 15 different things. You've said <laughs> Semis on two wheels. I'm pretty sure that's in there. Yeah, and you also love Ava Green, and I'm with you on that. And I do love Ava Green. But, <laughs> so does Melissa. It's it's a lot. It is a lot more psychological than um, you know than previous Bond outings, and and I really like that. Uh, Kate, how's the lamb? <laughs> so I I kind of have a counterpoint that I think that this definitely was a movie that that pushed the audience a little bit in an uncomfortable direction, but also held them in a very comfortable place. Like this is a character that you're kind of familiar with. We're going to put him in a story that's like other spy movies that you've seen before. He's going to react in a way that you expect, like almost to the point of like being able to like, but that's going to happen. Oh yeah, that happened. Um, and, but they have a lot of those classic tropes, like the the tendency to have a disfigured villain, 
And like, mm-hmm. so like, obviously he has, he has a disability or he's been disfigured. He must be bad. Um, and so I feel like Hollywood got smarter at making us feel smarter, not necessarily at like just being smarter and writing a more challenging story. Cause I don't really feel like this was the mo- the world's most challenging story, but then again, like, Nope. James Bond movies were and James Bond books were never meant to be like, oh, this is a really challenging mystery. It's oh, this is a really fun mystery. I I look forward to seeing what happens next. Bring me the popcorn. So yeah, I, Ian Fleming is not John Le Carre. Uh, you know, they're they're very different in terms of you know the type of uh, spy. Very spy different. Put out there. Yeah, John Le Carre yeah. is just brilliant. Not that Ian Fleming wasn't, but. Yeah, major difference. Yeah. yeah, major, majorly different. Um, so, uh, I think we need to talk about Mads, and we need to talk about Lashif as a villain. Um, what he's he's absolutely one of the most iconic Bond villains, and Mads Mikkelsen is so good at playing him. What works about him, and and why do we why do we love him so much? gets to go first (laughs) yeah okay i'll go first then um i he brings because maz is really good at at playing a villain but maz is also very good at being very human um i don't know if any of you have seen any of his danish films i've seen all of them (laughs) um so he is very good at first of all he he's the king of nuance because that guy can literally, I mean, he's, he's been in a movie where he didn't say one single word and it was amazing. Um, I don't know if any of you have seen Valhalla rising, but he's really awesome in it. Um, so, uh, I, I find that he brings a certain type of humanity to this character that you know, you've really never seen with a bond villain before. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, like the scene um, where uh, his little hench- henchman dude tells him that you know he needs to go back to his room, and he meets his girlfriend on the on the balcony, and um, then proceeds to get the, sh- the shit kicked out of him by the, the two guys that want the money. Um, and you, you quickly see you know how vulnerable he really is. Um, but what's funny is that when they get you know, when the game starts up again and he's sitting there and Bond comes back and he's, you know, finishing putting his new shirt on and he's like, oh, I see you changed your shirt, you know. Is our little game causing you to perspire? You know, he's, he's all like right back to smart ass. So, you know, the cool thing is that you can see both. And then at the, in the scene, you know, after the torture scene, you see the same sort of situation. So, you know, after he's beaten the shit out of Bond and then... Um, you hear his girlfriend scream and then uh, Mr. White comes to the door and, and he suddenly is like, oh crap. You just see that complete change in him. Like, you know, and it's just really cool to see and really cool, you know, to watch that. So I think, um, you know, not only does Maz have a very unique look about him, which makes him even more intriguing as a, as a villain, especially a Bond villain. Um, he just has a very wide range as far as acting goes. So um, I think he just, he was the perfect choice for that. 
Yeah. yeah. I, I love his vulnerability when he's like, I'll get your money. It's yeah. just like, you, you're totally like, oh, this guy is trapped. Yeah, he's, exactly. Yeah. So desperate. I love it. But yeah, I will I, say that you have to learn how to use an inhaler. That bothered me. <laughs> <laughs> I I kind of like the inhaler. I, I what I loved about him. Um, oh, well, there's a lot of things to love, but but one of the biggest things that you, that you touched on was for me was that you know we often see the villains in these movies in peril, but it did at the peril is James Bond himself. They're at you know like when he's trying to track him down. This was at least for me, and I admit, I, I, I've said this many times before when I've been on this podcast, is that I am not a James Bond fan, per se, um, and I've not seen all the movies, so I could be wrong about this, but have we ever really seen the villain in true, immediate peril at the hands of somebody other than Bond was this realistic? Because I don't remember uh, having seen that. Was that is that something that's maybe in one of the other movies that I haven't seen yet? Yeah, I I can't immediately at least not in this same circumstances. I can't think of. I mean, there are other things where like the beginning of Golden Eye. I mean, but we didn't know, you know, Alec Trevelyan was a bad guy at that time. Mm. You know, we didn't know Sean Bean was the bad guy. But see, for me, it was. Oh, I, I see what you, what you're what you're talking about. But um, yeah. for me, this was the first time I remember seeing this in a Bond movie, and, and really, we don't see this often in most movies where there's like a main villain. Um, you know, yeah. the, the ones putting others in peril all the time, whereas he spent the whole movie in peril himself, and we saw him getting increasingly desperate, and it was like the desperation and the lengths he'd go was the sort of character development that I don't remember seeing in a, in, in a Bond film or in many films when it comes to the villain. I mean, we're lucky if we get even a little bit of backstory, a little reason why somebody is the way they are. Um, but, and he could have easily taken this to like mustache twirling type of things. And, and he didn't, you know, he, he, it, it was a realistic portrayal of somebody who who's just trying to save their own life, you know, and and how far they would go to do that. And James Bond sort of was in the way. And and I, I'm not saying that this is a Lachie film because I know it's not. But but there were some times when I was just far more interested in the villain than in Bond. And that honestly hadn't really happened before. And I never actually thought about that. But yeah i it, it it's just um i don't know and i just really started to love all the ways that he sort of expressed himself and how he got increasingly more desperate um and also he's just a good looking man let's face it and this is the first time I'd ever <laughs> seen him. uh I, I was just googling bond villains and that he's definitely like he would win the beauty contest oh, oh yeah God. easily and, and yeah. he could have been far more disfigured than he was, and he could have still won. Absolutely. Um, but but it, you know, it's it's funny because like I I have romanced both men and women, you know. Um, but when I saw Mads Mikkelsen on that screen, he brought out all of my most aggressive hetero tendencies. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know how else to explain it. I was just like a little flustered. I gotta say. Um, and, and, 
yeah, I there's just something magnetic about him as I think as an actor that really came out. And I think part of it, at least for me, and I think for most people here in the States and maybe almost anywhere outside of Denmark, it, is that this was probably their first introduction to him as an actor. And so there's that little mystery there, that little surprise, like, where did this guy come from? That, you know, that mystery can be very alluring. So I think that added to the whole package, you know. Um, but, uh, and then there's, there's like the cold brutality. And y'all know what scene I'm talking about when I say br brutality. Um, mm -hmm. That, like, it, it was so confusing for me. I was like... I shouldn't have my lady boner anymore. And I kind of do. And I'm watching. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and and it, it was very challenging, you know, because like I was attracted to him and I'm like, wait, this is horrifying what he's doing now. And I'm still turned on. What the fuck is happening? You know, it, it's, it's all, it's just like a lot of little things that happen here. That you scared just me, Mel. Huge <laughs> Uh, it just made me a huge fan of his acting because I'm good God. How how can you even do that with a straight face? It's it's insane, right? I mean, and I know you men had an even more visceral reaction to it. Oh yeah, for sure. Legs were crossed immediately. I don't even have balls, and I was I was squirming in my chair. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I I personally think like the Lashif, but many other Mes Mickelson characters that he empowers bot. Um, sorry. He, he takes the power and like, just holds it in a very debonair way. Like, and you are, you're okay with it because he's so magnetic and he's so interesting and he's multifaceted. And so you got to see him be utterly powerless, but desperate to regain it, you know, by like fighting for his life. But you know, he's very much like he's out for number one. He's going to let his girlfriend's hand get cut off. That's okay. She's still got <laughs> number one. Um, and the, but I think, you know, what made him so great in this movie and in Hannibal is that he holds himself back just enough to be like, I'm in charge of this situation. Even when he's like fighting to keep that control of the situation. You know, I I yeah. I like a lot what y'all ladies said. Uh, so there's definitely sex appeal to him, and um, the, and yes, he does present himself in a debonair way that that's just it's I mean it enthralls you. But you know what I like about him, and not only this character but also Hannibal, is that he has this cold stare that you don't know what to do with. Uh, mm -hmm. You don't you don't know where he's coming from, and. So I, I work I work at a library and I have to deal with like a gazillion people and we have to deal with a large homeless population. And a lot of people get in my face all the time and they're always threatening me and I'm like, bro, whatever, call the cops, get rid of them. But there is this one instance where um, there's this one guy who wouldn't move and a couple of librarians were trying to deal with him and some guy came at his face like he was. Some other, some other patron got in his face and was like, if you don't move, bro, I'm going to end you. And he was just doing nothing. He was just standing and staring at everybody. And they called me because I was the manager at the time. And I went and I asked him, hey, is there anything wrong? You know, you want me to call anybody for you? Are you okay? He just kept staring at me. And that was just so unnerving. Anyway, the cops came, took him away. 
The next day, he stabs somebody outside of the library. Oh. So dudes that do that scare me so much more than dudes that get in my face and scream at me that they're going to kill me. Like that, that doesn't phase me. That's an everyday thing. But dudes that just do that weird icy stare, that just, that freaks me out to the core. And Mads Milkison has that. Um, not only in this movie, you check out several scenes in Hannibal where he just does that thing with his eyes and you're like, oh my God, that's death right there. And he's, <laughs> He's got that down, and that's why I mean he's he's sought after for certain roles because he fits that, uh, and and when he plays roles that are the exact opposite, like when he played Galen Erso in Rogue One, it's just so against type that you don't know what to do with it. And, and I certainly didn't when I saw the movie uh, Rogue One. I was like, oh my god, like something's gonna happen with this. He's gonna he's gonna end up killing everybody. But no, he's soft hearted. He does everything for his daughter. But it, it, but he gets you there because he's got that weird icy stare, and when he's when he's playing uh, against Bond uh, at the table, and he does that stare down, it just gets you like you know that he wants him dead so bad, and he's just formulating plans on how to kill Bond, and he tries a couple of times, but it just it just doesn't work out for him. I like but how that, this, yeah. whole, this whole conversation was just Mark not mentioning his favorite Mads role, which is his role as the accountant in Rihanna bitch better have my money video. You didn't bring that up this whole time. I'm a little sad about that. So, how dare uh, you? And Andy told me to prep something that I would change about the movie. And mine was that Rihanna should play Mr. White. Oh, very <laughs> nice. <laughs> very nice. Um, but going back to like the cold, hard stare, I would say like, we should do a go around of which do you think is his scariest like most deadly stare and i think mine is in the the green butchers where he's playing against a character that's supposed to be his brother and he just he just cannot even with that guy <laughs> and so it's like even more frightening because it's against family wow Ooh, i gotta think about that which movie does he have the most like sinister stare hmm I don't know. I mean, I think this one, he, he pretty much, I mean, although I will say Valhalla Rising has got some pretty sinister stares, but this one, you know, I, I'm the same way when I watch the watch them play poker and he just like, he's got like the best poker face ever. You have absolutely no idea what's going on in that guy's head. It could be he's catching butterflies or he's like, you know, chopping up puppies. You have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think we can all say that the answer to that question is Rihanna, bitch, better. She's a bitch. Give some stairs there by the hot tub. I like the hunt. I thought he had some. He had some wicked stairs in that one. I mean, even even just like his forlorn off into the distance kind of stuff. I mean, the range of of Overguard was pretty good too. But I thought that one was where he had the best stairs. No nah, man, uh, see the series finale of Hannibal as he's stabbing Will, uh, as he's looking. At, oh, Jesus Christ! That that was just all sorts of horrible. As he's watching Rihanna, bitch, better have money in the background <laughs> of this podcast. <laughs> that was his prep for Rihanna as he, <laughs> as he stabs Will Graham. But yeah, that dude's man. That dude's just kind of scary, man. I'd, I'd be so unnerved like interviewing him. 
I'm pretty sure he's not violent, but I can't be all that sure. I don't know. The way he kicked Shia LaBeouf in the face was also really satisfying. <laughs> oh, I yeah. Mean, but, take a number, right? Let's line up for that. That was like the best yeah. scene ever. <laughs> Yeah, I don't have a I don't have a like best Mads stare, but I I want to just say that I think, you know, to Mark's point about him playing Galen Erso in Rogue One, he's one of the few people where I can immediately believe like, oh yeah, this guy has been able to like maintain deep cover in the Empire yeah. for like a dozen years. Uh, working on a super weapon like against his will and like working against them like um i i still i love that scene at the very beginning uh where he's like oh yeah farming it's a it's a quiet life and i'm like i i actually like sort of believe him that uh you know he, he could just sort of want to run away um from from all of it he's he's just the perfect like um, he's the perfect poker face, just like what what Galen said. This, you know. this whole conversation, well, not unlike Andy's diatribe on the Cold War and the Living Daylights, which made me disrespect that movie even more, <laughs> makes me dislike Doctor Strange so much more because they completely wasted his talent on that character. Yeah, they kind of um, did. Cecilius, yeah. I mean, he had like five minutes villain. of screen yeah. time. Let's let's. Yeah. They could have done so anyway. Thank you for ruining another movie. <laughs> um, but he did get to have that that great line where he's like, uh, he's like, uh, where he's like, Mr. Doctor. Mr. And he's Doctor. Like, no, it's strange. And he's yeah. like, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it is. It is. Like, <laughs> it, it, would be, it would be great if they had used him in a different role for the MCU, but I digress. Uh, I agree. Um, yeah. Rihanna. Bitch, you better have my money. End of conversation. <laughs> Next topic. Scares <laughs> over. Winner. <laughs> I don't know, Melissa. Do you have a favorite Mads moment, either in this in this movie or not in this movie? You know, there was um, I think it was like maybe the first episode of season three of Hannibal, the final season, the one set in Italy where um, he's. Jack Crawford is, uh, is going after him. He's trying to find him. And uh, I think Hannibal knows he's mm. on him. So he like disembowels this poor guy and hangs him yeah. down from this church. And then he, Jack Crawford looks up and he sees Hannibal. And Hannibal gives him this stare like, come and get me. You know, yeah. like he's so not afraid of him. He, he He's daring him. He's He wants the hunt. He wants that chase, you know. Um and and it, it's kind of chilling because I think most even a, even a calculating serial killer like Hannibal, um, there, there's a part of them that that leaves the clues behind or whatever because they want to be found, you know, somewhere. But not with him. He he, you know, he was just very very safe about everything. And and usually those guys want to stay hidden, even if they're sort of, you know. Kind of, kind of trying to get caught in a sense, but they still run. They would still run if they saw the head of the FBI after them, you know? Yeah, but that other guy, guy was rude. The one? And Hannibal has no yeah. trouble with that. The, the guy he hung out a window, wasn't he terribly rude? And we know oh, that... That's he, the guy that was hunting him when he was younger. Oh, my bad. Yeah. 
he was basically finally getting his his day with him. Yeah. Sorry, I'm a Thomas so, Harris fan, so. <laughs> well, there you go. I love um, all the l l ladies love Mad so much are making excuses for his violence. <laughs> but the no, guy was rude. We're embracing and celebrating. <laughs> no, I'm not making excuses. I'm just wondering why I like it. You know, like, I still like, uh, okay, I, I don't know why I'm so turned on and he's doing these terrible things. You know, it's a little scary, but I'm not going to make excuses for it. It is what it is, you know. I'm pretty sure all of that was going through Will Graham's head as he fell <laughs> with him. <laughs> why am I so into this guy? <laughs> he was worried about his lady boner as well, huh? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> totally. Um, well one last thing about lady boners. Uh, I think in this, in both Galen's, uh, Galen Urso's Planet Iceland scene, where he's very moist, like, <laughs> yes. Thank um, you for bringing that up, by the way. <laughs> that's, that's why we love him. Sorry, Galen. I wanted to set you up for that. Um, I forgot. Uh, but I, I also think reverse sexism definitely has like a theme throughout Casino Royale. Because in past, you would have, like, the women in the bikinis coming out of the ocean and sparkling, and you know. And this is very much like, Mr. Darcy in the wet shirt is coming out of the river. Um, except it's, you know, Daniel Craig in a teeny little bathing suit and, you know, sparkling as well. And you get it twice. Yeah. 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 Who doesn't love it? And, yeah. he's, and he's also moist. And yeah. he's in the shower, comforting. And, and let me tell you, being able to see him like basically in the Bond version of a wet t-shirt contest in that shower—that's one thing. But seeing him like console her—have we ever seen Bond console a woman like that? Like that's no, that's, no, never, never. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's sexier than any shirtless scene in that movie. He, con he consoled the lady what, who found out that it, he could auto drive the fake iceberg or whatever in that one. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> Don't worry. This is self driving. Come here. I'll console you. That's, I think a, different, that's that, a different kind of consolation. That was borderline rape, right there. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> no, I, and I think that goes back to, to what, you know, Melissa, we were talking about before is that the extra level of nuance. Because mm -hmm. we were talking about that when we were. Um, watching it because we were talking about what makes Daniel Craig so attractive in this movie because he doesn't have the stereotypical bond you know like the the, the handsome features right the chiseled Pierce Brosnan Sean Connery and I think you're right I think that's what adds it is the layering that that they give him in this one more so than the other ones it's yeah. the humanity that they give him and that he holds on to uh in it, it, it shows more in the following in, in the sequels but it's that sense of he's he still has humanity you know the previous versions of bond were all like i'm gonna kick some ass and that's it and i need to save the day for queen and country but there's a lot more humanity to him in this movie um other than george lazenby's uh her majesty's secret service we haven't seen that uh, that kind of treatment of bond uh, before well it's definitely very welcome not Definitely not his password skills because that man can't <laughs> type to save his life. <laughs> I, I also okay. got to say, um, a little on that line, this was the first Bond film. And again, I have not seen all of them. Okay. Uh, I started okay. out in the uh, Roger Moore era, which is one of the worst eras to start in, probably. Um, but 
this was the first time I truly felt where James Bond wasn't sure he's a hero. Because mm -hmm. every other Bond film, I know he thought he was the hero going in to save the day. Even when he was like maybe a little down or even when he wasn't like when he quit MI5, I think. Wasn't it during the Dalton era? Like he briefly quit and then came back or whatever. Um, yeah. yeah. Even when so even when he seems a little down or out, he's, he still thinks he's the hero. He still thinks he's going to ride in and save the day. And this was the first time where I wasn't sure he really believes that. Yeah, I don't, uh, I don't know that he thinks he's a hero. That, that's such a great point, Melissa. It's really great. And and this is in this movie, we get to see him focus on doing what he needs to do to save innocent people. Uh, we don't really ever hear him say that in any Bond movie prior. I don't think so. Y'all can correct me. But I don't ever remember that. But he strictly says that to Vesper, like, we have to stop that. You, you need to give me the money because I need to stop them because millions of innocents are going to die. Like, he's focused on that. I mean, she throws it at him that maybe it's his ego that he's focused on. But, like, it's, it's, in his, it's in the forefront of his mind. Like, that, this is why he does what he does. He knows that the actions he takes are going to save people. Yeah. Yeah, I think, the, he's, I think he's less beautiful. concerned about being a hero and more concerned about not losing. Right, Mark? Yeah. I, think I mean, there, I mean there, there is that. Yeah. But there is a certain world weariness to him. Like, he's the, he's the only James Bond that, like, from day one has been like, I'm getting too old for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, uh, a, a new and interesting take on it. But also... You know the weight of forty years and and twenty movies. Um, I would, I would think that like James Bond should feel a little bit like that, and it's what I've loved partially about the uh, about the Daniel Craig era is like this is very morally gray, and uh, and he should feel like some recalcitrance in in all of this, and and I like seeing that. Um, so let's. We, we talked about Mads. Let's talk about Eva Green. Oh, God. And Vesper Lind. Because mm. uh, I think this this film, those are the two poles of this film. Uh, and with Daniel Craig in the middle. Uh, and uh, she's just... Perfection. You know, well, she is. Um, she also doesn't show up until halfway through the movie. And then suddenly the film kicks into high gear. Mm-hmm. And like you, Andy, one of my favorite scenes is the train scene because she shows him truths that he doesn't want to face by pointing out who he really is. Like, she knows what he's all about. I just love that. Like, she breaks him down, like, right in front of him. It's pretty damn cool. But I love that you don't know exactly who she is and that twist at the end. You're kind of, you're brokenhearted along with James. At the and end of the non-Willis cut, not the yeah. actual <laughs> Yeah. We'll, we'll we'll get there. We'll we'll talk about that. Well, uh, and the the thing is that even at the end of the movie, you're not really too sure exactly what's going on with her. Like, who was that guy she was with? Why was she so willing to risk it all for him? And you don't know much about her, and you can't. You're dying to know more. And I guess we're still gonna find out more. I guess uh, with the new movie because Mr. White's involved again. Um, but. God, she's just the perfect character. And to me, she's the best Bond lady in the entire series. 
she's pretty great. Oh, yeah, she is. And she um, was almost Scarlett Johansson or Charlize Theron, which I also thought was interesting. Really? I mean, those could have been good choices, but I love Eva Green. Yeah. I, yeah. I think she's hugely undervalued. Big time, man. As an actor, she's a brilliant actor, man. Jesus. Uh, if y'all haven't seen Penny Dreadful, do yourself uh-huh. a favor. Every episode is a lesson in acting with her. She's just absolutely brilliant and i hate the way the show ended it's not her fault it's the writers and freaking showtime for being stupid but if you do yourself a favor just watch the entire series she is a great actor and she shows you exactly what the craft should be like just just do me a favor and watch it if y'all haven't just no. you know what? stop this podcast right now and just watch, I'm gonna watch it i'm gonna control f a different show and put that show on top of it you should do that after you get back from that, I would like to talk about how I feel this movie was not a waste of Eva Green, because I really feel like it catapulted her to that next level so we could get Penny Dreadful. But you have Daniel Craig very obviously motivated by an inner fire. You have Mads Mikkelsen very desperate to maintain control of this empire that he's he's teetering on losing. And then you have Eva Green, who's just kind of thrown in there, and she's amazing, and she shows the truth. She's very, but I feel like she's more used as a mirror and a foil to give James Bond something to do, rather than as a character in her own right. And it makes me kind of grumpy because I feel like you don't get to see enough of what's driving her to make sense of that last 20 minutes of the film. It's like, what the hell? What's going on here? Um, That's a fair point. Like, why are you, you work in for MI6. Why are you so triggered by an agent protecting you and saving your life? I mean, granted those, those terrorists kind of died rough, but um, you know, I, I felt like she kind of was more of a vehicle than a a fully fleshed out character that's fair and i mean this is this is probably me putting too many hopes on this new movie but as as mark said you know hopefully we get a little bit more of a ribbon tied around all of this i'd love for there to be a flashback a something that explores you know her backstory a bit more in this next film and how all five of these sort of tie together. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, but I, I'd really love for that to, to be there. Yeah. It'd be cool. Yeah. And I think, so. uh, you know, Kate, t- t- in response to it, what you, to your criticisms, which is fair, absolutely fair is that, uh, her death, her part in the James Bond universe was part of a much bigger, story that was going to be rolled over several other movies so i don't want to say she's not important because she is but her role as it was in this movie was necessary for a much bigger story yeah that that we didn't see in quantum solace but she she is a you know she is a fridged character at the end of the day yeah yeah it's a fair criticism we get the james bond that we get at at the end of the movie gone through this arc because we we did a women in refrigerators to the female character which adds to his character development not to hers and 
I mean, that's that that you know, but we were you know, it's twenty twenty and we're still fridging people. Yeah. So I was gonna say the lessons yeah. of the past don't necessarily always make it to the future in this franchise, does it? Yeah. Or a lot of other franchises. Yeah. I mean the you know, we're but we I mean that's like the reason it's a trope is because everybody does it all the time. You know, give a give a male character character development by killing off a you know, a female character. Or giving him a female character to protect or yeah. be soft with or be vulnerable well, that around. That or not letting Judy Dench kick his ass enough in this one. <laughs> I would also argue that Judy Dench is in fact the best Bond girl. By far. Hmm. Yeah. Does in many ways does more for his character in this arc yes. than yes. any other character. Uh, yeah. you, you do see the birth of that mother-son relationship uh, that is further developed, especially in Skyfall. And I love that about this movie. There, At first, she kind of hates him because he's an ass, because he really is an ass. But towards the end, like she softens. You know, when, when he says uh, the bitch is dead, and she's got the she gets that look on her face like she knows what what's happening with him like he's just severing himself from everybody in this world and she kind of doesn't want that for him and she tells him like there's a reason why you're still alive you know like you may hate her now but she actually did something to save your life like trying to soften him like she cares about James at the, at that point and and that relationship gets stronger as the sequels go on until the you know the inevitable end of M but I, I love that in this movie. You know, and that's what this movie does right. You know, it's establishing relationships. It's growing characters. It's absolutely fantastic. I, I just adore this movie. But yeah, Judy Dench, absolutely awesome as am. I'm glad she came back for that role. All right. Can All right. we go any, back to any... Eva Green real quick? I, I, I want to say that I think her performance is so dynamic in this that it it's easy to overlook the fact that you're right. She is a fridge type of character. Um, we, we found, I mean, cause she seemed, you know, um, very good at her job, which isn't always the case for women in, in, in these films. And she seemed self-assured and like, you know, and she, she did dress down bond, which is always something that that's appreciated, at least for me. Very um, but you, we, we thought she was like one of the good guys and then you know we find out about this past and the boyfriend and blah 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 um and i know that some people argue that she it's her fault she died or whatever but i still feel like like we don't know enough about her and it was you know the information we get about her is kind of conflicting but i still feel like she's a little like one of um and this is strictly for doctor who fans but She's like one of the companions who pays mm. the price for the doctors, who suffers the consequences mm. for the doctor. Although, yes, Bond did suffer some consequences, some really brutal ones in, in, in this movie. But she suffered the ultimate consequence, you know, um, for, I mean, clearly he got the use back of everything down there from, you know, all their romps, right? So he yeah. was fine in the end. But she paid the ultimate price, you know, much like with the doctor and his companions in Doctor Who, who are mostly women, they pay a hefty price, not necessarily with their life, but but with other things. And and um, I, I sort of felt like that's where she was. That's that's the 
character arc they gave her and it was disappointing when she died not just because it was sad you know but but they could have done so much more and i know marco you mentioned that it's in service of a bigger story but whatever this bigger story is if there even is one is it worth it to have taken away a character that has so much potential and that helped to redefine this whole entire franchise you know was it was a big part of that in this movie um is is it still worth it because it's still a trope it's still something that didn't need to happen i don't think you needed her to die necessarily to propel james bond into the next film especially since the next film is so you know bad uh you know it it uh, what am i trying to say like it, it just i guess i'm tired of seeing women have to die to propel a man into action that is yep. so yep. Uh, you know, it's the worst. it was the worst part of the Bourne franchise, too, because in the Bourne yeah. franchise, she's yep. the one who gets him through everything. She does. She comes up with all of the, you know, the, the, the history. She's the one who does all the work. He just goes around headbutting people. Right. And to kill her off at the beginning of the second movie was the same thing. Oh, as that's the what are you yeah. doing? You don't need to do this. Yeah. Right, because this yeah, is the kill run so we could have Julia right. Stiles. Yeah, the whole book <laughs> is, is, I mean, that that character drives the successful outcome in, in the whole Born franchise, and so it was, it's, it doesn't make any sense, and it didn't make any sense in this, and that's why I like Andy's version of the movie better, where it ends on the happy note. Um, because it makes it makes more sense. That's how this movie was written to end. And it, I'm with you, Melissa. It was ridiculously silly to to spin it off the way they did. I, I those are fair criticisms, man. Uh, and I'm I'm with you, Melissa. But I'm also a huge proponent of a proponent of kill your darlings. Um, I, I'm kind of good with that. I mean, one of the one of the guys who does this the best is George R. R. Martin. Like you read his books, and by the time you get to chapter four, you have blood in your hands. Like that's how many characters he kills. So I'm, I'm fine with killing characters or getting rid of characters that are important to the story. If it moves the story forward, the problem is that the follow-up to this movie, it just, the story doesn't move forward. So you're kind of left thinking like, well, what about Vesper Lynn? Like I thought we were going to do something with that. And they threw us a curveball about oil in, in South America. And that, that didn't make sense. Yeah, that, um, that's exactly what I said. That the, but the but it was so bad that why it makes me wonder, like, did they kill her off because that's what you're supposed to do? Because she's not the first Bond girl to have died. Um, no. Or, or or you know, and they didn't know what was the next story was going to be, or did they kill her knowing that the next story was going to be and just bungled it? You I, have to wonder. You know, I think I think they bungled it, but they brought it back in Skyfall. Like she was referenced, uh, Mr. White's role is referenced and explained as to, you know, what's happened. No, no, that, that wasn't Skyfall. That was Inspector, right? Inspector, yeah. That was Inspector where she's brought back into it. Mr. White's role is brought back into it. Now uh, James is involved with a, another woman who's involved with this bigger story, which we haven't seen a resolution to, which we're supposed to see it in, in this new movie. But, I mean, the story's still there. I think the problem, and I don't mind with the character dying, the problem for me is that you did nothing with it in the sequel. And, and you had that opportunity. You just completely fumbled it. Can, yeah. can, I, I, can I disagree? Um, sure. So, 
I I agree. They I agree. The next movie was completely forgettable because I had to Google it as, because I think I only watched it once. But what bothers me, I think, the most about her death is how out of character it is based on her previous performance. Yep. She goes out like a freaking punk. Great. Like she spent the whole movie fighting with Bond, you know, fighting to survive on his side. And then like, you know, she gives him all the information he needs to follow her and like get the bad guy but she's willing to basically drown and kill herself in front of him because why? Because like, there's no way out for her. Because there's no way out for her of an elevator that he's trying to No, get no, no. Uh, of the situation. They still have her. I don't know if they still had her ex-fiance. Uh, but she's already been uh, outed to MI6. So she can't go back there. She can't go back to the villains that she was supposed to pay off because the money's not there anymore. She's screwed. Like she's, there's no way out for her. Either way, she's gonna die, and she'd rather, I guess, go out on her own terms. Yeah. I think. I think you have to. I think in order to answer that, you have to look at the bigger picture in future films to see who the like the main ringleader is. Right. And right. know that there really is no way out. Once you figure that out, it kind of answers that question for you. Yeah. Exactly. That's what we're hoping for. I don't know if they're gonna you know, deliver on that. But I hope so. There's a lot writing on this next film, y'all. There is. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't. No pressure. Yeah, right? It, it, I don't, at this point, because it's been so, I mean, how old is this film? Almost a decade and a half old now, right? It's, yep. I mean, yep. like, 14 years. at this point, I'm not sure there's anything they could do to wrap it up in a satisfying way for people like me who still think it was a dumb move to have killed her off in the first place now i'm open to like if there's some bigger conspiracy or something that brings it all home there could be but at this point um i don't think it matters i it, it's too long they bungled too much in between and um yeah you know it i don't think it's gonna matter i don't think it's gonna make a difference in how well, she's gonna be looked at historically when you look at the entire uh daniel craig era i i'm not sure there's any way to save this well i'll yeah. say this in 1983 a character died in a pit and now we love him again and they did it right <laughs> oh my god <laughs> <laughs> that story took a lot longer than 16 years <laughs> i mean air quotes but yeah I know how much you love Boba. Okay. Um, but, but, but she's dead. They're not bringing yeah. her back. Well, yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm being facetious. Yeah. But still, they did it right. They did Boba right. Pit, okay? She's not slowly digesting and has a chance to get out. No, she's gone. I totally, she's had, I totally had a robot chicken moment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I don't know. And yeah, I, I mean, I hope that there's some sort of satisfying answer but i don't i don't know that there will be i think the real opportunity for them to do that was inspector and it's why um you know i think specter was kind of a failure um but we'll get to that when we when we talk about I, it i don't think it well, all right we'll, we'll talk about it. it it didn't it set up stakes that it should have gone to those heights and it didn't meet those heights it 
it called it called a shot and it didn't it didn't meet those expectations. Yeah, I'd agree. I, I didn't. I was a little. I thought Spectre was pretty flat. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's Very not a bad movie. movie. It just it it said this is going to be this thing, and it didn't end up being that thing. We, we, can, you, we and, you and I always called things the B side of something, and that was the B side of Skyfall. Like, let's it put all the ideas B-side. we didn't get to in Skyfall into Spectre, and hopefully enough people will buy it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I did not like Spectre. I, I you know. I, I'm gonna. I hate to say this, but I, I like. I think I might have liked, uh, Quantum of Solace a little more than Spectre, only because. What? Listen, <laughs> hear me out. Hear me out. Is that, that Quantum of Solace started mediocre and promised us nothing and delivered on that, whereas like. <laughs> Do you understand? Like we knew. Yep. We She's got a point. Yeah. Whereas. <laughs> Uh, I think with, with Spectre, everybody expected them to be back to form again, and and it and then it just wasn't. You know, it was a letdown. Whereas with Quantum of Solace, I I wasn't let down because my expectations were kind of low to begin with. Does that make sense? Like, it wasn't as disappointing because it just to me it just felt like an average Bond film because I think most Bond films are just meh. I don't think Spectre yeah. was a letdown, though. I don't know, but that's my opinion. We'll, we'll, we'll get to we'll it, get into it when, we, when we get to it. Well, so. I had to say that because I, I, I don't think I'm going to be there for those. So I, you know, I'm going to just yeah. say that now. But um, I hope you guys push all of Marco's buttons. When you yeah, I'm, say. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they I'm, will. I'm, I'm pre-agreeing with Melissa that it was a complete <laughs> letdown, not unlike every Star Wars movie except for Last Jedi. There we go. <laughs> Your face is flat. Okay. okay, 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 okay. <laughs> Okay. Don't go there. Um, Don't open it. <laughs> I think now is a good time to transition into into our normal rigmarole and our our basic questions we we ask every podcast, uh, which we always start with the wrap up of the box office. So, Casino Royale was released as I mentioned on November seventeenth, two thousand six. Uh, had a budget of 102 million dollars. Not that much, yeah. uh, you know, compared to most blockbusters. That's pretty respectable. Its opening weekend, it made 40.8 million, uh, and ended up with a domestic box office in the U.S. of 167.3 million, uh, which, um, in uh, inflation-adjusted dollars goes to 231.8 million uh as i mentioned it was the the number seven movie of 2000 or excuse me the number nine movie of uh 2006 uh with the inflation adjusted numbers again that would have been uh the number 10 movie of 2019 so i mean it was still a a big deal it it did very well uh and um you know and and once again uh martin campbell saved the franchise uh from itself so uh that's that's great um but that being said uh we do have studio notes so Mm -hmm. if you are given a version of this film in any time during its uh its production whether it's script uh, while they're shooting, or uh, a final cut, how would you change it? Uh, I am going to start off by explaining 
the Willis cut of of this Yay! film. Go and for my, it. Um, I think this movie is too long. I love the movie, and there is no such thing as too long if the movie is good. This is still a great movie. I love it. But I think the movie should end after the hospital when they're happy on the beach. That's the last scene of the movie. Roll your credits. Everything that happens after that in Venice and Vesper dying is actually the opening scene of Quantum of Solace. And so the Willis cut is you stop the movie there and then... And then you watch Quantum of Solace with the um, with with Vesper dying at the beginning of it. Uh, I think that improves both films. Yep. You make Quantum of Solace better uh, by giving it some emotional weight, and uh, then you and you make Casino Royale better by giving giving it a happy ending. So that that is my studio note. I mean, you'd have to change Quantum of Solace completely. Yeah, if you're gonna yes, you would out. as okay. as you as you should. Yes, agreed. Should. <laughs> is that is that a protest, Marco? Because that sounds like a damn good idea to me. Yeah, I mean, no, it it is a good idea, and like yeah, I said, okay. if if they had ran with that narrative and continued it in the sequel, it would have been it would have been awesome. I don't understand what they were trying. And you know what? Uh, Daniel Craig himself said that he didn't understand what the hell they were doing because there this was during the writers' strike. And they had to produce a script and he got involved in it. And he said, I didn't know what the hell I was doing writing. I have no idea how to set things up. And he said, and the whole process was just a big mess. And it shows, you know, it, it, it feels like there was ideas being thrown, being thrown around in a room and they just went with what felt right. And it didn't work at all. So yeah, if, if they would have started with Conrad uh, Solis with that and, and developed that story, it would have been awesome, but they didn't. I think I think Andy, the two things I would change. One, I would probably not have him shooting a propane tank in the embassy because that would not blow up. It would just release a lot of propane gas onto everyone and make them feel a little. I'll tell you what. (laughs) I'll tell you what. The second thing is I would get someone who actually knows how to type in a password to type in Vesper correctly instead of hitting the JKL button. Which is not Eddie Cole. Yeah, if you if you watch the movie, uh, Daniel Craig types in gibberish nonsense, not Vesper. <laughs> which but. which I was really hoping at the end he would have said, "You go ahead and type in your password. You should know it." And she would have typed in Vesper, and it would have gone eh, or something like that. So um, I would I would also want more uh, Jeffrey Wright, um, but I can't. Oh, yeah. and we do get more of that. <laughs> Granted, but. Maybe in the Willis cut, we get a whole lot more of him in the second. Yeah, we need we yeah. need more. Yeah. Let's get let's get a little more Jeffrey Wright. I, I would I would also say uh, I like also uh, African Warlord and um, Reject from the Matrix sequels, uh, <laughs> who are sitting around the the poker table at the end. Uh, no. those, are, <laughs> those are those are my other two favorite guys. I would have liked nice. a little bit more of them too. Okay, sold. I, man, this movie is so perfect. I don't think it needs anything. But if I were to add, have any changes or add anything, it would be a scene that shows how Le Chief escaped uh, uh, Felix Leitner. Uh, mm. and, and 
Because it isn't shown. It, just all of a sudden he's there. Like, how did he escape Felix? I thought he said Mathis was his friend, but is also my friend. But that doesn't explain exactly how. Like, because they, uh, uh, ostensibly they 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 took him right after the 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 match was over, right? Yeah, like, I don't know. Typical CIA thing. incompetence, they, but yeah. yeah. Well, yeah I mean, they were going to apprehend him in the morning because apparently they had to sleep on that decision. Yeah. Right. Really? I don't. It I was in that? the script. I just watched it. It's oh, like okay. it's like that that uh that Eddie Izzard thing. <laughs> Bloody hell, Americans! Where have you been? Ah, eating breakfast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're uh, before we take in the criminals. Wow, I can't believe I missed that. They had to get a warrant, and that takes a little while because you in know. international waters. Yeah, you need a warrant. So. Yeah. Um, you gotta have, you gotta and, have your three martini lunch and then ride it off before you go get the bad guy. Well, I mean, I still would have liked the, the scenes showing or explaining that. That, and then also uh, some guys singing three blind mice because <laughs> they were in the Bahamas. <laughs> Never mind. That's a reference. The deep cut, and no, <laughs> the deep cut. No. Cutting back to the the poker table. There was a, a very prosperous looking Asian lady and I didn't notice it until watching it in HD, but she had like monstrous nose hairs. So <laughs> have makeup run like some hedge clippers up in there. Oh my God. I am so watching this again tonight just to see the <laughs> She's from the Joy Luck Club. I'm pretty sure she was. And can you get that as the, the picture for this uh, ver- this podcast? Yeah. Can I just say, Marco, I, I just want to say um, you want further explanation about about uh, Le Chief and, and how he allegedly got away or whatever. And, and it, you said you wanted a better explanation, that whole thing. I don't. And here's why. And I've mentioned this before in, in past podcasts is that I, I feel like there's a lot of jabs at the CIA and American intelligence and it, just the U- United States in general. And, and I think one of your friends, Andy, I want to say Willoughby backed me up because he said the novels are very kind of uh, have a lot of anti everybody, but British sentiment in yeah. them. Yeah. Um, and so to me, if they were to have like explain that whole thing further, it would just be another American incompetence thing. And so like, let's just leave it, you know, but like you wouldn't be wrong, though. Well, I'm not saying they'd be wrong, but I, you know, after a while, I the whole like hoorah Union Jack thing just, you know, enough. Mm-hmm. Ooh, I have an idea. I have an idea. He escaped them by getting into a mini sub because it's at the ocean club <laughs> and then rising out of the ocean moist. Unapprehendable. I back, I back Melissa. It's a, a, a crocodile. It's <laughs> a like a crocodile. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He, he escaped okay. by Rihanna capturing him and tying him in front of her hot tub. <laughs> I think he would make a better Mr. White. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's my favorite change is Rihanna as Mr. White. I thought if we I can like have that. Madonna, we can damn sure get Rihanna in this series. I mean, she is, I, I, she is in 2005, so she was a thing. In we would have had a lot more milkshakes in the yard. And <laughs> <laughs> About the same time she did 
Battleship, I want to say, which is a terrible movie. God, but, yeah, but so I mean, horrible. she was trying to make movies. Um, she could have, yeah, picking the wrong ones. Movie, right? That would have been great. Yeah, this would have been a hit. The other one, Miss. Oh, oh my God! Oh, baby, thank you. B four. Yeah. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, I'll be here all weeks, folks. All weeks. Yeah. Galen, do you have any studio notes? I think that uh, how Le Chiffre got away was he and Felix had a staring contest. Um, <laughs> Goodbye, Felix. <clears throat> yeah. Um, I'm, t- I'm totally down with, with the, uh, the Willis ending. Uh, Andy, I agree with you. Because um, that's usually when I shut it off. Like, <clears throat> I'm done. That's it. I don't even watch the rest of the film anymore. Um, I, I think having that, 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 that death scene of her starting in the next film, that, I think that's a great idea. I think it would have been much better had, had they done it that way, but we'll never see that. So, um, what else? Let's see. I think that, um, you know, I'm going to bring up the inhaler thing again, because, you know, as someone who has asthma, that was one of my biggest problems. I was like, that is not how you use an inhaler and it's probably stupid, but I don't care. Um, so there (laughs) I mean lots of people use them I I think that that could have been something they could have done better because it's like I don't yeah I've used inhalers before that's not yeah so yeah no but yeah I think um, yeah yeah cool (laughs) Uh, uh, let me see Melissa did we get studio notes from you no, um, I I too would like more uh, Felix Wright um, or Felix Leiter, <laughs> Jeffrey Wright. Sorry, <laughs> Felix Jeffrey um, Wright. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I I do that all the time. Mix up the names. Um, just because I I think he's just such a dynamic actor, and you know he's one of those actors who like if he's in something, even if I'm not sure about it, I'll try it just because yeah. you know what I mean. Like that's why I gave Westworld a chance because. You know, it, it had been delayed for so long that I was like, oh, it's never, it, it's terrible, right? It's got to be for them to fix it for so long. But, and it, it, it's half terrible, half good, you know, whatever. But I'll, you know, he's like the main reason why I would, I wanted to try it, you know? Um, so yeah, more, more Felix Leiter for sure. And, and um, Vesper, I think they, they needed a different ending. And, and I know y'all said, you know, maybe she would have died at the beginning of quantum of solace or something um only if you do something else with her story because again you've got to make it worthwhile for a character like her to die and and they just didn't do that um and and no more you know the hero has to suffer a heavy loss to move on no um he didn't you didn't have to make him retire you know, and then have her die so that he could go back into service. He, he didn't need to, none of that needed to happen. That was a choice and, and it was a bad one. Um, other than that, uh, as much as I love Mads Mikkelsen, I too thought that the inhaler was a weird choice. I, I don't know if they were trying to like flesh him out or give him more humanity because he did seem like a desperate monster at times. But I, I'm not sure that was the right way to do it. And the disfiguring, too. Like, you know, the, 
I, I don't mean to sound like all politically correct or thing, because I know that's probably what some people are going to accuse me of, but I, I feel like when you disfigure your villains in some way, um, you know, there's people who have those actual problems in life. And when they're always associated with villainy, it it's, it, it I, I can't imagine what kind of message that sends. And it, it's just, it's stupid. You know, I mean, there, there's times for disfigurement in your villains. Like, like we talked, uh, Marco mentioned Penny Dreadful earlier. And one of the main characters, Caliban, of course, he's Frankenstein's creature. And so, of course, he's disfigured because that's how he was sort of made. And so it makes sense there. But it, it doesn't make sense here. You don't need your villains to have some kind of scar or, or figure or disfigurement rather to prove that they're bad. That's an old trope that could have and should have died in this film. There's just no need. Um, so I, you know, but those are other than the, the, the Vesper thing, those other things are more nitpicky. Like they're not necessary, but it would have been a better film with them. Uh, but the way they treated Vesper Lind, I, I'm just tired of women paying the price in this franchise for something, even though she had a hand in it. Yes, obviously, but but uh, I you I don't, don't know. Need to qualify it. I think I think you're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. It, you know it, they what they made so much progress in this film, bringing Bond into the new millennium, and and really make almost making up for like dr christmas jones or jones or whatever her name was you know what i mean like it it it, they they went so far but then they just fell a little bit short and that's part of the reason why i am interested in this next film just because i know for sure they had at least one woman working on the script and because part of the reason why women are so badly portrayed here it's not because necessarily because they have a bad portrayer like denise richards it's because they're poorly written right um and a lot of that has to do and i know i bring up the the gender thing a lot but let's face it 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 slaps you in the face in in this series um or or franchise rather but yeah when men write women and they're not used to having to do it, it you can tell you can absolutely tell and and they don't consider a lot of things that they need to be considering. Um, and, and one of the things they should have been considering is that a woman doesn't have to pay the ultimate price to spur a man into action. He should be able to do that himself. I'm tired of women having to motivate men all the time. Do shit on your own. Also, yep. on that note, can we just give a woman a, a reason to be a criminal that isn't about her ex-boyfriend or about a dude? Because that's one of the things in the Bechdel test that is a constant fail. You put two strong women together and they're talking about dudes. And like, and, and so it's like, I, I think if Ava Green had had a more, like, it wasn't her ex-boyfriend that she was stealing that money for. Maybe she was going to, off to like, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like the girl in Solo who's like, no, I'm going to be the next criminal mastermind, bitches. Um that would have been more interesting to me personally, instead of like, because I think that would have given her a reason to fight. It's like, oh, you know what, Christoph Waltz, fuck you. I'm going to be the new you. That would yeah. have been more fun movie to That me. actually would have been really cool. I, hey, I think that would have been cool. 
I do like the ultimate Poseidon failure where she drowned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. So much for the Poseidon theory. You can't, Mr. Water Monster. What happened there? Nice job, Bondo. He killed yeah. a person with a kitchen sink, or sorry, bathroom sink. That's pretty water. Well, yeah. I mean, but then at the end. And at the end. The he way. definitely used water to destroy that whole building yeah. that, you know. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, we were, I we've sort of transitioned to talking about the, the Poseidon theory. Does this, does this film prove or disprove the Poseidon theory? No, it proves um, it. I think it. I think it magnifies that this character has different rules with Poseidon. Like he's not just um, Superman boner anytime there's water around. I mean, it still mm-hmm. works, but. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't. I, it opens a whole new ball game of Poseidon theory rules, which I'm interested to see how it works over the next couple films. Yeah, I think that that's it. Um, Ooh, best, technology. I yeah, want to do best tech. tech or gadgets. Whoever kept putting shirts in his room. One shirt when he showed up, and all of a sudden, this dude's got like eighteen of the same shirt. So either he's got a mad iron or somebody is just putting shirts back. Jeffrey Wright, thank you for all that CIA money replacing all those shirts. Kudos to you. Uh, I think it has to be his car. That's probably the only piece of technology that's actually really cool because it has a defibrillator in it. Yeah. His life. I can't think of any other piece of tech that really stands out. Yeah, I, that's what I was. I you was gonna say. I, was, really I, thought wasn't you, much. I, I thought you were gonna go with the rope, Mark. No, no, no. That's low tech, and I I don't want it anywhere near there. <laughs> the wicker no. chair. Not to be trusted. No. As a matter of fact, uh, that's why that's why my handle is M A C T. It's Men Against Chair Torture. Sorry, Wayfair, you've yeah. let us down again. Yeah, no, <laughs> no, no. Did his watch have something cool on it? Uh, no, no just Omega. <laughs> Shout no. out to Omega for being a non-bond watch. Yeah, uh, two thousand cell phones that don't do anything except text and make Olympic. and make calls. What about his a uh, recovery program? Oh, pretty good tech. Well, I mean, you know, universal healthcare is a hell of a drug. <laughs> Question. Uh, Kate, what were you about to say? Yeah. I was going to say, would Quantum of, of Solace qualify as chair torture? Ooh. you have to sit through it. Maybe. Sure. No, Iron Man 3 does. Oh! oh! Also, Rise of Skywalker. You shut oh. your face. You shut your face, JB. Okay. Um,. Best one-liners or quotes? Ah, that's a good one. It's not very quippy, is it? The Jeffrey Wright's still my favorite. What? Yeah. What's Andy? Not like we uh, can't. We look like we need the money. Yeah, we look like we need the money. That's yeah. anything that other than that. Everything. Every time Vesper uh, makes fun of Bond, those are all great lines too. I think my favorite was uh, when the bartender says. Um, Shaken or stirred, and he says, "Do I look like I give a damn?" I'm like, oh, yeah. total total break. Freaking love that. Yeah, I love uh, when the chef's on his boat and he goes, "Give our guests five seconds to leave or throw them overboard." 
my my favorite line actually it's not quippy or funny at all um it's when he he loses all his money remember he bought into the the game and mm-hmm. then lost it all on that one hand to Lashif, and then he asks Vesper if she can give him another buy, you know, money to buy back in. Yeah, yeah, and she said she says no initially, and then he says, "Look, I made a mistake. I was impatient. Maybe I was arrogant." And I was like, "Wait, James Bond just yeah. said that?" You know, yeah. like I couldn't believe it. Like I think my jaw dropped more than once in this movie. Like because it was just so different from what I was used to. And that line, I feel like sort of signifies the vast amount of changes that had happened to bond. Um, now that, now that there was like this kind of new guard, it, it, it was, it was amazing to me. Yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to guess Andy's favorite line. Okay. Which is Judy Dench. Mm. Line. She's walking down the office. God, uh, I mean, that's the Cold War. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Cold War. That's true. Andy that's also, my, my favorite that no one has mentioned yet, uh, Vesper asks, how how was your lamb? And he says, skewered. Mm. That's that, that is a good line. And I then I, my other favorite one was where he just says no about, uh, you know, that emotional. Not, not perhaps you're out of practice? Uh, no. Not, uh, I've got a little itch down there. Would you mind? <laughs> That's a really good one. Ooh. I did like the half monk, half hitman one too. That was pretty good. And you know, Matt, you know, I, I after the first little whip, I would give away all state secrets. Yeah. Oh, yes, I would. Yeah. I would. As soon as they dropped you in that chair, you'd be given. You'd be uh, yeah, given. yeah. You, as soon as I see the rope, I'd be like, I'll show you where my parents live. They might have money. As soon as, anytime you see a wicker chair, like you go to the swap meet and you see wicker chairs, you're yeah. like, no, 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 no. Turn it around. There's no way anybody could survive the kind of crap he, he served. There's no way, dude. You, know, you just pass out the first time. I don't yeah. know what. Anyway. Sorry, we I'm actually surprised y'all haven't talked more about that scene. We're like an hour and 45 minutes into this. And I mentioned it's it. Too painful, Mel. Is that what it yeah. is? Because I thought, I honestly thought we were going to talk quite a bit about that. And we barely even. I think, I think you'd have to be nuts to talk about it more. <laughs> <laughs> but um, oh, we, we tried to talk about it on the when we were watching it, but Mark got a little testy. <laughs> it was really cold and there was shrinkage oh, oh no. my excuse adding insult to injury there your rope yeah yeah there i mean there's just no way i mean daniel craig is the man of steel like there's just no way. I got bit by an. Uh, it by didn't an really happen, inter- Mark. It's not like it really happened. No, but like it's, <laughs> it was just so real, man. Like it's just. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, I got bit by an ant in my inner thigh, and like the entire region was on fire, and I wanted to die. Like I can't imagine getting hit with. Oh no! And next on Doctor Phil. <laughs> Kate, you had something you wanted to say about Bob. Yeah, go, Kate. <laughs> oh, so I, I wanted to say that I really enjoyed the, the now the whole world's going to know you died scratching my balls. Oh, yeah. Um, 
But I was going to say my, before we go on to that, I wanted to say that the best one liner was, Oh, I'm sorry. That last hand nearly killed me where he comes in. after. Oh, that. Yeah. It's a great line. That was, that was my favorite one liner. But going back to the, the ball torture and the Poseidon theory, both of those men are extremely, I, I hate to use the word, he's moist. Uh, they're both moist. Why can't he use the water to superpower himself out of that situation? <laughs> is it the salinity? Is it the 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 wicker? Does the, is wicker his kryptonite? He secretly enjoyed it. Yeah. Ah, wicker is kryptonite. Oh, nice. Mm. Maybe like the wicker man by Nick with Nicholas Cage. That definitely is everyone. Oh favorite. God! <laughs> I know. If, if I ever see wicker anywhere, I'm turning around. Yeah. yeah. Don't come uh, to my house. Grandma furniture. Send all of the wicker pictures to us on the (laughs) Um. Okay. Best side character. Best side character. My God. Well, Um, I mean, who qualifies the side character? Because they they, they all had like so many minutes in this movie. Yeah. Uh, Vesper has to be the best side character. Uh, is she considered a she, side character? Well, that, that's why I'm asking. I mean, she didn't show up till halfway through the movie. Mm. I'd say the guy who held the password because he wasn't. Let go of the password. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm surprised the, that's the, not the, your favorite text. Guy. The, the keypad. Good yeah. lord. That's, I was going to vote for Rihanna, but I don't know if she's in it now. I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> In this, the 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 sequel, bitch, better have my money. <laughs> that would have been a way better name for Coral Solids. Best night character. Uh, I mean, most useful or best. Jeffrey Wright's the best. Absolutely. But I, I mean, there's there's a litany of very entertaining side characters. Like, where where did all the henchmen that Mads had come from? Like, all of a sudden, there's a dude with dead bodies in the <clears> trunk, <throat> and you're like, where did that guy come from? Yeah, he, yeah. he got him from rent a henchman, you know, <laughs> around the corner. That's all that money. In the hammock district. Now, yeah. now flying, you henchmen everywhere. We've got bald ones. We've got disfigured ones. We've got ones with pipes. Kate, um, I feel like they, they that would be the one where you rip off the tag at the at school, where it's like, you want to be a henchman? Dial this number, and you have to take the little tag off the hanging. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Just on the on the bulletin board, yeah. I mean, obviously, that's at villain school. If you fail out, you then you have to go to Henchman Community College. HCC, <laughs> right? Uh, I have to say, like as an Outlander fan, seeing Tobias Menzies as like the tech guy, just like random tech guy. Is it MI five or MI six? Sorry, guys, I'm failing on my British. MI6. But... They're, they're MI six. MI five. Okay. I think I said in my I've seen his butt. So you see a lot uh, more than that in Outlander. But he's, he's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, there's there's a certain torture scene in Outlander that oh god. Oh my god. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's rough. It went on way too I mean, long. Like the chair scene. No. It's bad. Yeah. Stupid, stupid wicker Outlander. and then and then i have to give a shout out to mathis for um being our uh color commentator and 
the the guy who's going to explain the plot and what's happening in the poker game to us. So, you know, I thought he was the best side character for sure. Yeah, and and because also I I was the entire film I sort of was questioning his motivations a lot. I and I I don't know if that happened to anyone else, but that sort of made the whole thing more interesting as well. Oh yeah. It's like, oh, Mathis betrayed him. Oh, okay, yeah, makes that tracks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Tell Quan and when we find out he actually didn't. But whatever, I don't understand yeah. that. Yeah, I, that was a weird um, con, <laughs> but yeah, whatever. Okay, is there are good James Bond movies and there are bad James Bond movies? Is this a good James Bond movie? I'm is that a rhetorical question? Top three. It's the second four. best. Yep. Behind mm-hmm. Living okay. Daylight to Andy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Living Daylights is my number five. Come on. Let me, oh, all right, sorry, Moonraker. Respect. Anyway, so we forgive uh, you. Yeah, I know. I know. We're we're all allowed to like bad things sometimes. Uh, and in this movie, is James Bond a good person or a bad person? He's a tool. <laughs> He's a good person. He's a blunt instrument. He's a yep. I I I think he was a good guy, and I don't. I normally don't think that. He's definitely good. He definitely needed charity. (laughs) Oh my god! Um, that's a really good question. Is he is whatever the situation called for at the time? So. Because remember, he says, if I had any feelings about killing, then I wouldn't be very good at it, which is not a good character response. Um, but I mean, killing of whom, though? He was asked about the killing of the bad guys that came at them. Like, well, I mean, if you. I mean, you're really going to feel bad? Semantics, I guess. It's not semantics. He was asked about those particular people. I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't feel bad. <laughs> all so, right, Mark. You go on your killing spree. Let us I, know. I will. We'll feel different. <laughs> I'm going to kill all wicker chairs in this world. <laughs> all the grandmas will be very upset. That and all people would talk shit about Star Wars. I mean, if you have watch yourself, movie. Not all Star Wars just the bad ones that you like, Marco. That's right. <laughs> I mean, on a Likert scale, where do you put him? He's it's neither good nor bad, I guess. I mean, he does good things, but does that make him? So in in a completely different franchise, the Dresden Files, <clears throat> uh, they there's a char- the main character starts talking to another character about whether he's turning into a monster, and what the author replies with is monsters don't question if they're monsters. Ah, uh, good, good, good. good. And so it's like I think he thinks he's a terrible person doing the doing the right thing, even if it takes a terrible person to do it, like do the wrong thing for the better good. So I don't know if that necessarily makes him a good person, but it doesn't make him a monster or a unilateral bad guy. It makes him someone who wants to do the right thing, you know, because, because a lot of this for me boils down to motivation. Like you could have a billionaire giving away money to charity, but are they doing it for the accolades or the awards or the praise? 
uh, or are they doing it because they actually want to make a difference? Because I think the motivation has something to do with whether it's a good or a bad thing. I mean, ultimately, it's good that they're giving away money anyway. But does that make them a good person for doing it? I love that. I love that. You know, there's there's people who join the military strictly for the chance at killing people. And you know, there's those people exist that you, you just sure. know that I, and I know this firsthand. And then there are people who join the military because they, they sincerely want to protect our country to protect their fellow citizens. And those are good people. So I, I love what, what uh, Melissa said right now. I, yeah. I wonder if the answer is, we'll tell you at the end of no time to die. <laughs> Okay, like that movie needs more pressure. (laughs) (laughs) That's what this whole arc is boiling down to, right? I think it's very nebulous through it throughout. Yeah, yeah, I think so. In the end, is kind of the perfect example of that. Where how different is he to Bardem, other than you know he's told to stop this person, right? And and that was that was the best part of that movie, which I know we'll talk about later, but. Um, what does make you a good or a bad character when what you're doing is what the country tells you to, right? right. Like your point, Mark. So um, it's you're right. It's a gray area, and I'd love. I'm excited to see what the final outcome is in the last movie. Yeah. So uh, I think that that pretty much wraps it up. That's that's exactly it. Uh, a little bit of business, and then we'll say goodbye. Uh, we're we're obviously winding down here with James Bond. Um, over the next month or so, we'll 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 go through the last uh, few movies, and then after that, we're gonna have to choose another franchise to ruin. Jason so, Bourne. Uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, if if y'all want to, we're taking input. We aren't necessarily just you know whatever wins is what we're going to do, but we will override you people. <laughs> I mean, it is, it is Andy's final vote because it is your podcast. So we no, I mean, well, it's it's Mark and and Brooks, um, and you know, maybe I don't know, Melissa, if you want to like, if we choose something that that you're into and and you want to be on here full time, then you know, it's your your choice too, or, or same with JB or whatever, you know, let's, um, you know, I'd love to find something that, that folks have a real passion for and that we have like a, a specific take on. I think we found like a very specific take on James Bond pretty early and, oh. and that's why I wanted to do it. Um, so, but we are taking input and we are listening to, to what, what folks have to say. Uh, Kate, you, did you oh, have something? I was wanted? going to say, I demand that I you allow me to join you if you decide to roast all the Disney movies, because I have very strong opinions. Uh, yes. Well, I not. So uh, there is an open poll in uh, our Facebook group, okay. uh, which you can go to and look for Kiss Your Franchise Goodbye. It's an open group. Join it. Uh, we have a poll uh, where we ask which franchise we should do next. Here are... The, the number one with 13 votes so far is Star Trek. Oh, yeah. I'm so down with that. So uh, number two is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, number three is Too Planet soon. of the Apes. Uh, like four that. is the Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Uh, yeah. Five, Rocky and Creed. Six is Batman. 
Uh, seven is Akira Kurosawa. Uh, seven, Jurassic Park. Uh, and then we have a, a bunch, a bunch more tied after that. Um, but you know, there, there isn't a huge, um, a, a huge gap between first place and third place. So, you know, your, your vote really does matter here. Uh, if you want to, if you want to go in and come on, uh, Georgia, get out and um, vote. I'm. I'm definitely more interested in doing something a little more eclectic and maybe something I'm intimidated by Star Trek and the MCU because it's so much and we'd be committing to a lot of content. Um, I don't know. Melissa, you made a really good argument for why we should just do like just Toy Story. Yeah, because yeah. if you all of Pixar or all, God forbid, all of Disney. I mean, that'll take like a long time. And but if you could do like, you know, each each one individually. And plus, there's just not a bad movie in that group. It wouldn't it be nice to talk about an entire series and not have to pan a movie? You know, there's no Quantum of Solace in there. There's no Aquaman. Oh God. <laughs> there's there's none of that. Um, there's no Zardoz. Disney. Um, I think. <laughs> is disney princesses i i think that would be really interesting to just focus on the princesses yeah. through the years and how they've changed and do we even freaking need them anymore you know what i mean like like um i think that would be an interesting one to do yeah and that's, yeah. that's why i really i i actually am like big on the disney princesses because it's it's like the total opposite of james bond but yet very much the same in the idea that like oh look at how this thing has gone on for 67 <laughs> years and changed so much well and, and if, you know and andy the other thing that's interesting is if you look at how we've done the bond arcs you could almost do sets of trilogies because we've almost treated these bond movies like its own subset right mm -hmm. Like we almost talked about the Brazen films like a trilogy. We're talking about the or you know a three, four, five pack like we're doing with this. So you could the the princesses would be great. You could make another case for Born and Planet of the Apes and you know those movies that have three packs. Um, yeah. And and kind of like Melissa said with the princesses, do you don't have to just bag on a whole series. You you can kind of do those subsets and you get the full detail out of them and then move on to something else. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, the princess is always interesting. It's such a weird arc of where they've come from since 1919 or whatever it was. Um, uh, 29. <clears throat> yeah. 29 was still snow white, but yeah. So yeah, it's been, yeah, been there's a, a lot of areas you go. I don't, I don't know that you necessarily should feel like you have to pick a winner. Um, but I agree with you. If, if you took, four through eight and just picked all of them and and just did them in sporadic time frames i think that would be fun that might be that might be a way to do it so i don't know we'll we'll sort of make a decision but we're we're open to input and um if folks have stuff that they're really passionate about or um you know i'm i'm open to hearing it but i am cognizant that like there are a million other Star Trek podcasts. There are a million other Marvel podcasts. And I don't know what like our specific take would be on yeah. that. 
Um, but but maybe, um, you know. So I don't know. Well, I think we'll our I think our take could be about the lies told to us about housework and how we could train small animals to do flash <laughs> running your restaurant. And how horrible hippos really look in tutus. Hey, don't be sizist. Ostriches I mean, look just as bad. That's that, very that true. true. That they don't true. keep them on as long either. They bite those things right off. I <laughs> I would really love to do Toy Story with Melissa as long as we can do Toy Story 3 because my favorite movie moment was being in a theater full of children when those bastard little toys started going to the fire <laughs> and there was no screaming like you have ever heard than a oh room gosh. full of children's, are they going to burn to death? Oh no. And I'm like, yeah, they're going to burn to death. I'm really excited. And then, I saw that one in IMAX. So it was like, Oh, or frightening! Is this a children's? Because every Disney movie has those moments where you're like, "This was not written for kids," you know. But that that was like, I mean, I could see that traumatizing little kids. That was crazy. And then to go yeah. from that to like mocos, like tears and mocos streaming out at the end. Yeah, be like, oh. Somebody. Every time they should just call it. We're gonna make you cry one. We're gonna make you cry two. Was, this, this is something different when you're when the your kids' heroes are going for the inferno, and there's not and the, the kids were just. I mean, they were screaming and crying and rolling on the ground. And you're right, moco everywhere. I don't know how they cleaned the theaters fast enough. They didn't. I mean, it was something yeah. else. You know, yeah. you guys mentioned you guys mentioned Jurassic Park. A, a bit ago and it was a similar situation with that when I saw that in the theater for the first time like the first one and people parents had brought kids and oh my god <laughs> that, that, that freaking T-Rex scene there were kids screaming like oh my god I was like ooh maybe little kids not a good idea yeah, I remember <laughs> the number one question I remember hearing is where's the goat yes wow. yes <laughs> where did the goat yeah. go thump <laughs> <laughs> There you go. So uh, we we could do any of those, and I think the the other thing taking on something small like a Toy Story, or um, you know, then we could do like three or four of these fairly quickly because we're only committing to like three movies, four movies, five movies a piece, and then that's that's like just a month. Well, so, and maybe yeah, maybe okay. it gives you a, a break to figure out what. If you wanted to do a Star Trek, what your hook would be? Like yeah, do a few things kind of as a palate cleanser, and then go into it. Yeah, so this is definitely so. So we're definitely open to it, but but come vote and uh, and leave comments in the in the poll because we're we're reading them and we're responding to them and we're you know interested in what in what folks are thinking. Uh, but that's it. Thanks everyone so much for being here to talk about casino royale um this was so much fun um unfortunately we don't have another mads mickelson movie to uh bring our our mad super fans back i i am going to add that to the list um the mads we'll package talk Just about put, movies yeah do a triptych of the best mads mickelson movies great oh okay. rihanna Bitch, better have my money. <laughs> <laughs> the mad, the mad have my well, you know, I 
on on the list um and not too far out of the top uh seven is um uh Hannibal Lecter. Oh yeah. So we could, we could I gotta be on that one. From, yeah. So because and with especially with so many different actors who have mm-hmm. played that role and the Clarice um uh show coming on fairly soon here. Well not just because be. for me, not just because of, of mess, but also I, I'm a huge fan of that franchise anyway. Like I've read the books and I've seen all the movies and stuff. So I, I really love that whole that whole stuff. All of it. Yeah, and it's it's not it's not so expansive. There's a lot, but like, um, I feel like that that's doable. Yeah. And there's it's like, you know, there's a ton of Hannibal Lecter podcasts out there. So I feel like that's that would be a fun one that we could that we could take on. So, uh, so go go vote for Steve. Um, but but thanks everybody, and and if we do end up doing that, then. Y'all are obviously incredibly welcome to come back. And we'll-, well, thank you so much. Thank you for having me tonight. Yeah, yeah. It was great. Yeah. Thanks, everyone. Okay. Bye, everyone. Will everybody stay safe? Uh, um, happy holidays. Happy New Year. Yeah. And that, we'll sadly, all- Christmas only came once this year. So, oh, uh, dude. Here, here's to hoping that 2021 is less of a ball swapping in a Dwayne. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> that pun has just been sacked. Bye, everybody. Big kiss. Bye. Bye, Brooke. We miss you. Thank you. That will be all. God damn it. That's not all. Because if one of those things gets down here, then that will be all. Then all this, this bullshit that you think is so important, you can just kiss all that goodbye. This show is part of the Geek Nerd Network. Geek Nerd Network. Find more shows like it at geeknerdnetwork.com. This is Jen.